Trinity. Okay, so I'm just going to, again, name this series God in Three Persons. Okay, uh, this will be part one. We're going to do this for, for about three, four Sundays. So this week will be part one, then part two, then part three. All right, so that way we can keep up with it. Um, I want us to keep this in mind. I think this is a very important topic. Okay, some people will say that, um, well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that important of a topic. I want to make this statement and so that, that we're absolutely clear on why this is an important topic. Okay, It is important, and I'm going to say this and then I'll pray. <laughs> it is important because without the doctrine of the Trinity, there is no Christianity. Okay, without the doctrine of the Trinity, there is no Christianity. I will go as far as to say, as as other people have said, without believing the doctrine of the Trinity, you cannot be a Christian. You cannot be saved. Without the doctrine of the Trinity, there is no Christianity and you cannot be a Christian. Now, what you what can you be without the doctrine of the Trinity? You can be a Muslim. Or you can be a Jew, but you cannot be a Christian, okay? There are three religions that are monotheistic. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, okay? Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. They're three monotheistic religions. Two of those religions reject the Trinity. So you can be a monotheist, and that's why now everyone says, well, do you believe in God? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in God. And then we move on, right? You can be a Muslim or you can be a Jew and still say, I believe in God, yeah, okay? The distinction is, do you believe in the Trinity? Because without the tr- that, that's, that's not really the, the first thing that sets Christianity apart from Judaism and Islam is the doctrine of the Trinity, okay? So... It's a very important doctrine that we have to uh, let's we have to see what does the Bible say about this. So let me pray. We should always open up in prayer. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for allowing us this time, this opportunity to be able to come together and be able to look through your word. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to wrestle with this doctrine um, it is difficult for us to um, to to fully understand the doctrine because it is fully uh, is not possible for us to fully understand you. Um, but I pray that you will help us to show I mean, look at what you have d- displayed in your word about yourself and wrestle with these things. And as we wrestle with them, we will get a better understanding of who you are and what you are. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would help us to continue to grow in our understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me uh, say, since there was a, re- a, a reaction, when I say that you cannot be a Christian without being, uh, without uh, the do- doctrine of the Trinity, I am not saying that you cannot be a Christian if you don't fully understand the doctrine of the Trinity, okay? I, listen, I have two degrees in the Bible, and I do not fully understand the doctrine of the Trinity, Okay. There are people who have PhDs and, and 
you know, and even R.C. Sproul, right, before he died, uh, I'm recently, you know, he has two doctorates, has been studying theology and specifically the doctrine of the Trinity for 50 years. And he said before he died, I don't fully understand it, but I guarantee you the first second in heaven, I will understand more about the doctrine of the Trinity than the last 50 years that I've studied it. Okay, so the reason that we can't fully understand it is because there's no way for us to wrap our hands around God. Okay, so I'm not I'm not saying that you don't that you can that you can't be a Christian without fully understanding it. What I'm saying is that if you completely reject the doctrine of the Trinity, I don't understand how you could be a Christian. Okay, because the the doctrine of, of the Trinity is the doctrine that sets us apart from other monotheistic religions, okay? So that, that's what I mean. I'm not saying you have to fully, un, fully understand it, okay? All right, let's jump into it. What is the doctrine of the, of the Trinity, okay? So I, I wrote it down in a, a simple form so that we can, can, can have it, okay? I'm not, I'm probably won't, everyone won't, won't be able to see it, so I'll, I'll read these. Um, I, I stated it, and then we restated it in two different ways so that we can, can get a, a clear understanding of, of this as I walk through it. The doctrine of the Trinity states there is one God who, important, eternally exists as three distinct persons. One God who eternally exists as three distinct persons. That's important. We will go through each one of these. There is one God, okay? Uh, we are not, as uh, Mormons accuse us, uh, we are not tritheist. We do not believe that there are three gods, okay? We believe that there is one God, but that one God exists as three distinct persons, okay? okay. And it's important to note that he eternally existed as those three distinct, distinct persons, okay? It's, it's not like uh, one of my uh, friends, we were talking about uh, Jesus, and he says that uh, Jesus existed inside of God, but then at his birth, he was separated from God, and I'm like, no, that's not what the doctrine of the Trinity teaches, okay? They were three distinct persons from all eternity, all right? So to say it a different way, God is one in essence, okay, so his nature or his being, he is one in essence, but he is three in person, okay? One in essence, three in person. Say it a different way, there are three personal distinctions, okay? And it, the reason I, I want to change, I'm saying personal distinctions versus person because people are like, well, what do you mean three people like like me, Janita, and Kayla, <laughs> like three persons, okay? So when we talk about God being a person, right, we, we're talking about personal distinctions. We're talking about um, your, his level of consciousness, okay? So the father, when he talks about himself, he says, I, okay? When he's talking to the son, he's saying, you, okay? That, that's what we mean by b being a person. I look at myself and I'm saying, I did this. When I say to Janita, you did that, okay? So within God, there are three personal distinctions. The Father says, I, but he says to the Spirit and the Son, you and you, okay? The Son says, I, 
But he says to the Father and the Spirit, you and you. Spirit says, I. He says to the Father and the Son, you and you. So there are three personal distinctions in the one undivided being of God. We're not talking about three different natures, three different people um, having three different natures. We're saying that there is one undivided nature. And all three of them fully share the same nature. Okay. All right. So uh, as always, we'll run this like Bible study. If you have any questions, stop me and ask me any questions as I'm going through it. Anybody have any questions before I flip the board? I had three summaries. All right. All right. So this is how we're going to summarize it. And I'm going to take each one of these one by one. So three truths that we have to uh, accept here. Number one, there is only one God. Number two, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct persons. And number three, each person is fully God. Those three, all right? Number one, there's only one God. Number two, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct persons. And number three, each person is fully God. Now, let me ask you a question. What, why do people get tripped up on the doctrine of the Trinity? I'll move to the side. I see people still writing. Why do people get tripped up on the doctrine of the Trinity? What do you think they get tripped over most? Tina? That is, I'm glad you said that. That is not what I said. <laughs> that is not the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay. Um, listen to what Tina said. It is hard for one person to have three different functions. Okay. Notice that is not what I said. Okay. I didn't say there was one person. I said there were three persons. Okay. But they have one nature. Now, that, that is a viewpoint. That is how people describe it. As a matter of fact, if you know, um, um, I think back to an interview that um, T.D. Jakes did in 2012, right? He, at th that point, he said he changed his understanding of the Trinity because that was his view. He was a oneness Pentecostal. He accepted that viewpoint of modalism, that there is only one person, but he sometimes is the father, he sometimes is the son, and he sometimes is the spirit, right? And T.D. Jake said for 30 years of, of pastoring, that was his viewpoint. Now, I don't know why it took him 30 years to read this passage and understand this, but anyway, he said in, in, he was reading Matthew chapter 3 where Jesus is being baptized, and G, we'll read this in a minute, and Jesus is coming up out of the water, the dove it, the Holy Spirit is descending in the form of a dove on him and a voice from heaven speaks saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And for some reason, he said, after reading that, that passage, he said, it dawned on me that that has to be more than one of them. <laughs> they, they have to be three. If Jesus is coming out of water, the spirit is descending like a dove and the father is in heaven speaking. There can't be one person unless he's a ventriloquist. 
<laughs> that is coming out of the water and then making his voice echo from heaven. This is my son. <laughs> and whom I well please. <laughs> okay. So, so I'm not saying that there's one of them with three different functions. That is not the doctrine of the Trinity. That is what we call modalism. Okay. The doctrine of the Trinity says there are three persons, right? Three persons that share one nature. Okay. So I just wanted to clarify that for, uh, for everyone. But it is difficult. It is still difficult to understand how can three three persons share one nature? Okay. So we'll get that in, in a second. Auntie Juan, I think you had your hand up. Oh, I'm sorry. All right. Anybody had any questions about before, um, before I jump through? All right. So back to you all. What, um, why is it difficult? What, what, what's the number one complaint that people have about the doctrine of Trinity? <laughs> I didn't say nothing. I'm just, <laughs> okay. There was a lot there for me to let me let me see. Okay. One by one. Okay. I yeah, I got you. One by one. So Genesis chapter one, God says, Let us make man in our image. Who was God talking to? Cause a lot of people a lot of people say, well, the Trinity is not in the Old Testament. What they mean is the word Trinity is not in the Old Testament. So, so, but, so the question just becomes, well, who was God referring to when he said, let us make man in our image? Or in Genesis chapter 10, when at the Tower of Babel, he says, man has become like, I'm sorry, in, um, that's not what he said in Genesis 10. He says something similar that I can't think of. It. He's oh, in Genesis ten, he says, "Let us go down and confuse their language." W when Adam and Eve sinned, he says, "Man has become like one of us." So the question is, well, who is God talking to when He is saying, "Let us make man in our image"? Mm -hmm. you know, but it wasn't just right. Mm -hmm. Hold on one second. Let's get some questions, and, and then Derek, and then I'll throw you the hand up. Huh. Um. Oh, and if I flip it back over, he eternally existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the answer would have to be yes.
Yeah, I think that's the point. I think that what happens is is that we're looking for something very specific. We want we want the Bible to say God exists as a Trinity, okay? And because that doesn't say that, people are like, well, I, I I don't see it there. The Bible never says that Jesus used the bathroom either, <laughs> right? But but we we well we know that Jesus did not hold his bowels for thirty something years. Okay, so, so that's all. So, so all I'm saying is that just just because something is not explained, it, like we don't see it word for word there, doesn't mean that the Bible does not teach it. That when we when we the word Trinity is a theological word to define that that explains the concepts that we find in the Bible. So so like I said, for example, you know who is God talking to when He says that? Let us make man in our image. Jews will say, oh, he was talking to the angels. However, when you get to like Hebrews and, and many other places, we see that angels aren't in the image of God. So how could he be telling the angels, let's make man in our image when angels are not in the image of God? Right. So we, we need a solution for who was God talking to. Right. Oh, my question is, though, what do people find hard about the doctrine of the Trinity? You did. So you did. You, you, but, what, yeah, you, you answered it. People find it hard that, it's, it, that it's, it's not there. When I'm saying that it is there, we just have to look at the we, – we can't – for example, people will criticize the Bible and say that the Bible is not a scientific book. Okay, and so when we say, okay, well, the, the Bible is wrong, they'll say the Bible is wrong when it tells us about the world, okay? Because the Bible says, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the Lord's name is worthy to be praised. And then people say very clearly, the Bible does, the sun doesn't rise or set, the sun doesn't move, the earth moves. And if the Bible was true, they would have known that. Okay, <laughs> and I, I'm just saying. Do you correct the meteorologists every morning when they say the sunrise will rise at 5.55 p.m.? Like, no, we're, we're talking about what it looks like to us. It looks like the sun, the, the sun is rising and the sun is setting. We understand that the earth is moving. So what I'm, what I'm saying is that we, because we're trying to force the Bible to speak in certain ways, what we're doing is not allowing the Bible to actually speak. The Bible clearly the, the, the Trinity is, is, and I say clearly, clearly, if you read these passages the way they are meant to be taught, you can see the glimpses of the Trinity in the Old Testament. For example, you mentioned Isaiah, right? Isaiah chapter 6, right? I saw the Lord sitting on the throne and the train of his robe was filled with the temple and stuff. And Isaiah, John chapter 12, Jesus said, Isaiah said that when he saw me, Right? But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, Isaiah didn't think he saw Jesus. He would, if you would say, did you see Jesus, Isaiah? He was like, did I see who? I didn't see, I don't know who Jesus is. I, I know the king of the universe, and I saw him sitting on the throne. But for some reason, Jesus was under the impression that Isaiah saw him, right? So I think that, the, that does the Old Testament, Testament explicitly teach the Trinity? I don't think it does. But I mean, there's tons of passages about about God, okay, meaning the Father. 
there's tons of passages about the spirit, right? And there's tons of passages about the son in the Old Testament. But until you get the full, we talk about progressive revelation, until you get the fuller revelation in the New Testament, you can't understand how the passages about the father, the spirit, and the son in the Old Testament work together. Anybody, anybody else? There's one more thing that people say. Mhm. Mm that confused because people confuse Jesus because Jesus is also God. Yep. Right? Not understand that that was that Jesus came or was that God the Father came. When Mo um in that, uh, Exodus 33 when uh he asked to see the um see God. Right. Um I I think that in that passage we would probably say that that is a, a reference to the Father and it is true. No one has seen the Father at any time. Right? So I don't think that that I, in that passage, I don't think that it is necessarily referring to the son. But at that time, even if it was Jesus at that time, the truth is no one had ever seen God before. And his point is, is that Moses said, let me see you face to face. And God says, you don't understand if you were to see me face to face, you would die. So I think that, you know, you could see it and explain it in different ways that, you know, I take it take it as it's a reference to the to the father um, and that he was seeing the, the father. I mean, talking to God, the father. And he said, I, I cannot show you in my essence who I am or you would die. Um, but even if it was the son, I mean, it's still a, a fact that no one had ever seen had ever seen him face to face. Mm -hmm. I got one. Um, one more. Let me get uh, Janine and then Una. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people um, get very confused because you don't clearly understand the role of the Father and the role of the Son and the role of the Holy Spirit. And I think once you better understand that, it's easier to understand how they're all one, but also they can Okay, I'll come back to the to that issue of, of roles and stuff like that, um, especially when it comes to salvation, because I would I would argue that if there is no such trinity, no such thing as the trinity, there can be no such thing as salvation. We cannot be saved if, if God was, uh, was on, if there is no trinity, God could not save us. And I, I'll explain to that, 
probably the last Sunday when we come back to this. Um, I would argue one of the things you need to say is like, well, who was talking to, to Moses at the burning bush? Of course, you know, again, in my view that it was, of course, Jesus. But um, according to the text, because it says that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in um, the burning bush. OK, next verse. And God said to him. <laughs> OK, OK, so so the angel of the Lord is the one at the burning bush. It says that he saw a sight, he saw a bush burning, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Does not say God the Father, it says the angel of the Lord appeared. Next verse, and God said, the angel of the Lord appeared, but God said, okay, so there must be some cow equating the angel of the Lord with God, okay? But then Jesus, in, in uh, the New Testament, he says to them, before Abraham was, I am. And next verse, and they picked up stones to kill him. Why? Because he said the exact same thing that that uh, the angel of the Lord said to Moses at the burning bush. Who what name should I tell the people? What God has sent me? Tell them I am has sent you. So when Jesus says before Abraham was, I am, he was not saying, oh, I was born before Abraham. He was saying. I'm the one that met Moses at the burning bush. And they understood that because they tried to kill him for claiming to be God. Okay. So I would argue that most of the examples of God in the Old Testament is actually Jesus. Okay. Una. Mm-hmm. About the doctrine of the Trinity. Yep. 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 Okay. Yep. Not only, not, yeah. Right. 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 Different. But that I would agree with. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree that you shouldn't go out and and try to argue with something about something you don't fully understand or can't explain. I would agree with that. <laughs> uh-huh. 
Right. Right. Mm hmm. Okay. I thought you all were going to say that the biggest issue is that the doctrine of the Trinity is a contradiction of terms. Did I spell that right? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Right. It's th th that is a contradiction to say that God is three and God is one. Isn't that a contradiction? <laughs> Who does it say doesn't that sound like a contradiction? If I say God is three and God is one, right? That sounds like a contradiction, okay? Now that is because we didn't pay attention in our philosophy class in, in college. Okay. Now this is the definition of a contradiction. Okay. Definition of a contradiction is two contradictory statements cannot be true at the same time and in the same way. Okay. Something is a contradiction if you are saying two co contradictory things about it at the same time and in the same way. Okay. So when I say that God is three and God is one, if I'm saying that God is three persons and God is one person, that's a contradiction. Okay. If I say God is three natures, and God is one nature, that is a contradiction. If I say God is three persons and God is one in nature, that's not a contradiction because the, the terms are not referring to the same thing. It's only a contradiction if I'm saying the two opposite things about the same attribute. But when I'm talking about God, him being a person right person that is the number three when i'm talking about his nature or his being that is referring to his his oneness so it is not a contradiction to say that god is three and god is one if i'm ref if these are being predicated about different parts of, of, of god's nature or character that's why i said it's important when we say there is one God, talking about his nature, right, who exists as three persons. Okay. So I think that the, the problem that, that we have is people confuse who God is with what God is. 
And that is the reason that that most people run it, you know, feel that the doctrine of the Trinity is is a contradiction. We are confusing who God is with what God is. When we when we say because some people will say I, I had one guy, he thought he had me. Right. He was like, well, who did Jesus pray to when he was on Earth? Did, wasn't he praying to himself? See, I got you. I got you. <laughs> I'm like, you you ain't understand nothing I just said. Okay. <laughs> Who was Jesus praying to? He was praying to the Father. He was not praying to himself. I'm not saying that Jesus is God the Father. <laughs> okay, okay. There are three persons. Jesus can pray to the Father. Oh, but he was praying to God. Yeah, because his Father is God. But he's also God. Yeah, he's also God, too. Then that means two gods. You don't understand the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay. Right. Because people are confusing who God is. Right. Three persons, the father, the son and the spirit. They're confusing who God is with what God is. God. When we talk about God. There's two ways for us to understand the word God. And this is what most people misunderstand. We can talk about God, right? Who God is, okay? And we could talk about what God is. When we say God, when we're praying, right? God, please help me. What are we, what are we saying? What's another synonym for God then? Father. That's what we hear when we hear someone say the word God, what we are hearing is father. Right. And that's why when we say Jesus is God, we're like, whoa, something's wrong with that. Because what we heard was Jesus is the father. And that is not what we mean when we say Jesus is God. When we say Jesus is God, we're not talking about who God is, we're talking about what God is. When we say that Jesus is God, we mean Jesus is divine. Jesus is divine. We're talking about his nature. We're talking about what Jesus is. And that is exactly what, what John chapter 1 verse 1 says. Okay? It says, in the beginning was Sorry, I say in the beginning was God. <laughs> right. It says, in the beginning was the word. Okay. In RK ain't halagas. Okay. So in the beginning was the word. Okay. And the word was with God. Okay. So, and the word was God. Now, notice what it says. In the beginning was the word. It's talking about his eternality. Okay. And the word was with God, meaning that. There must be a distinction in, in what we're referring to. Oh. Because it says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. When it says, ha, theos. All right, I'll do it in English. The, <laughs> the God, I'll just do it that way. Okay, so it says that he was with the God. OK, in Greek, whenever it, you have the direct um, the um, the article in front of that right, 
It is talking about the Father. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, meaning he was with the Father. Okay? Meaning they have to be distinct. Okay? And the Word was God. It does not have the article in front of it. So it is referring to his nature. What he is saying is everything that the Father is, the Son is. We're talking about their attributes. The Father is eternal. The Son is eternal. The Father is merciful. The Son is merciful. Okay? The Father is all-powerful. The Son is all-powerful. Everything that the Father is in his nature, the Son is. So when we say Jesus is God, people misunderstand what we're saying because they're thinking that we're saying Jesus is the Father. They don't understand we're talking about Jesus's nature. Everything that the Father is in his nature, right, all of his attributes, Jesus is the same thing. Anybody with me? Jackie. Right. Right. Yeah. We have to understand what God is. Right. Right. God in the sense that I'm, I'm referring right now, is not the father, okay? When we use the word God, we're talking about his nature. So when we say one God in three persons, I'm not saying one father in three persons. I'm saying one nature, one set of attributes, holiness, <laughs> right? Omnipresence, all-powerful, all-knowing, right? That is God, okay? His nature is what we're referring to. There's only one nature, but there are three persons that equally share that nature. Jesus is not one third God. The Father is not two, the other third God and the Holy Spirit is the other third God. They all fully share the same nature. Jesus is omnipresent. The Father is omnipresent. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. It is not possible to have three omnipresents, okay? So if I'm everywhere present, and Janita is everywhere present, and Kayla is everywhere present, or Curtis is everywhere present, right? That's not three separate types of omnipresence, is it? No, there's only one attribute called omnipresence, and all three of us have that attribute, right? So there are three persons who equally share the same nature. That is what we mean by one God and three persons. Any any other questions um, before I, I I'm jump on to a couple Bible verses? Let me show. You just you you said it differently than Tina said it. You said <laughs> cuz in a sense what you just said is true. I would not you just said 
the th- bless you. You said the three of them share the same nature and have different functions. Right? That's what you just said. N- notice I would I would break those sentences into two separate sentences though. Okay, for, to, so there's no confusion. Tina said there's one person with three different functions. That is not true. That is what we is called modalism. You said there are three of them that share one nature but they still have different functions. That is true. Um, and, and so that's what I mean when I say that without them, the three of them having different functions, there would be no so- salvation. So, um, so there are three of them. They share one nature, but the father's role or function is to be the, mm, I'm about to mess that up. I will say, but to be the creator, but then I had to put an asterisk next to that. Anyway, move on. The, the father, let's say, let me say it this way. The father's role is to be number one. Okay. He, he is the lead of the group. So he comes up with the plan for, um, for, for the world. He comes up with the plan for salvation. Jesus's role is to actually come and execute the plan for salvation. He, the father planned for the son to come and die, right? Peter says that in the book of Acts, right? That they did what the father planned for the son, okay? They, the father designed the world so that his son would be crucified, okay? Um, and Jesus came and died in order to execute that plan. Now, Jesus had a physical body, which means what after his incarnation? You say what? Girl, that's heresy. You said Jesus is not omnipresent. <laughs> I know what you mean. What you're saying is that <laughs> what she's saying is that as a human being, Jesus can't be everywhere at the same time. Right. Because he he's limited to one place at a time. I would not say Jesus is not omnipresent. Even with a human body, he's omnipresent. I just think we have to change our definition of omnipresence because of Jesus' humanity. But, um, yeah, I would say in Jesus' case, it's not that he's no longer omnipresent, right? Because he now has a physical body. He can't be in more than one place at a time, but he knows what's going on everywhere and he can act everywhere, You're going to take me way off field with this question. Um, yes and no. Anyway. <laughs> um, so could Jesus come after his resurrection? Could Jesus go and live in every single person that becomes a Christian? No. That's the whole of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, his job is to come and live inside of every single person that comes to faith in Christ. Okay. So without all three of them, salvation would not be possible. Right. <laughs> okay. So, so again, so that's my point. What your statement again is different from from Tina's statement because your statement is there are three of them that have one nature, but they still have different functions, and that again is true. Because if it wasn't true, then there would be no salvation. If Jesus died on the cross but could not come to apply that to each individual person's life, then there would be no way for, 
for, for us to actually be saved. He would have accomplished our salvation, but we would never be able to receive it without the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Anybody else before I hit a couple verses? All right, it's 12 o'clock. We got to hurry up. Okay, real quick, let me hit this. Let me make sure I hit all my points first for the person. Good. Uh, three, back to these three points, okay? And then we'll come and, and, and look at the, this a little more uh, deeply with each individual person next week. First thing I want us to see, there is only one God, okay? There is only one God. Let us take a look at a couple passages of, of Scripture mostly from the Old Testament. All of these are from the Old Testament. Let's start with Deuteronomy chapter 4. I want us to be absolutely clear. There is only one God, monotheism. And this was something revolutionary uh, in its time because no nation on earth was monotheistic. Everyone, every nation was polytheistic. They all believed in multiple gods. Okay, so when the Jews came on the scene and said, "No, actually, there's only one God," people were uh, a little confused. <laughs> okay, listen, we said uh, Deuteronomy chapter four, verse thirty-five. Anybody there? Okay, verse 35, to you it was shown so that you would acknowledge that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. The Lord is God, Yahweh is God, and besides him there is no other God. Okay, everybody see that? Deuteronomy chapter 32 Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39. See now that I, even I, am he. There is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And no one can deliver from my hand. Okay, so it, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39. Yep. Again, he says that there is no other God but me. Okay, only one God. First Samuel. First Samuel, just about uh, three books from Deuteronomy, I think. Three, four books, something like that. First Samuel chapter two. First Samuel chapter two, verse two. There is no holy one like the Lord, no one besides me. There is no rock like our God. Okay, there's no rock like our God. Great book, just um, um out. Uh, I can't remember when it came out recently. I think that it is. There's a book talking about um a book about various religions. And the title of the book comes from this verse, their rock is not like our rock. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. There's no holy one like the Lord. No one besides me 
There is no rock like our God. Okay. First Kings. Two books to your right. First Kings. Chapter eight. Verse 60. Well, I'll start at verse 39. I mean, I'm verse 59. I mean, I'm sorry, 59. Let these words of mine with which I pleaded before the Lord be near to the Lord our God day and night. And may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. Okay, two from the book of Isaiah. Chapter 44. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Now, this is going to be important because when we come back to talk about Jesus, right, being God, we see Jesus say, uh, says this exact same thing several times in the book of Revelation. He says, I am the first and I am the last. Right now, how you had two people being first. And two people being last. Right. So in the Old Testament, I am the first and I'm the last. Besides me, there is no God who is like me. Let them proclaim it. Let them declare and set it forth before me. Who has announced from of old the things to come? Let them tell us what is yet to be. Do not be afraid. Um, do not fear or be afraid. Have I not told you from, from of old and declare it? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? There is no other rock. I know not one. Okay, so um, we could go on and on and on and on and on and on, and on all right, uh, um, like this, right? There is no other God but one, and that is the Lord, okay? Now, why is that important? It's important, for one, re for one it's important to, to establish monotheism. Number two, it's important, I love doing this with uh, uh, especially my uh, Jehovah's Witnesses friends who say, well, Jesus is the son of God, but he's that he's not, you know, he's not the creator God, you know. Um, and, and so I take him through Isaiah, right? It's like five different passages in, in Isaiah. It says, I am God. There is no other God but me. Now, I want to say now, how is it that in your doctrine you have you have two gods? I don't have two gods. You did. You said Jesus is God the son of God, but not the creator God. That's two different gods. No, it's not. Yes, it is. <laughs> it actually is. 
If you say that Jesus is the son of God, but he's not the creator God, that means he's a lesser God than the creator God, right? And they were like, well, yeah. How is that possible? God in the Old Testament says there is no other God. Right? There's, there's no other God. There can't be a son of God that's a lesser God than the creator God because then there would be two gods. And they're like, well, what did he mean when he said son of God? Well, we'll look at that when he said it because every time Jesus said, I am the son of God, they picked up stones to stone him for making himself God. <laughs> because the word, the, the term son of God means God. <laughs> And everybody knew it. That's why they kept trying to kill him. Right. So when Jesus says, I am the son of God, he was saying, I am God. And that's why they kept trying to kill him. And we'll look at that in several passages next week. OK, so there is only one God. Second, I want us to look at real quick. The father and the son and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons. There's one God, but they are distinct persons. Real quick, uh, most of these are going to come from the Gospel of John. But first, I want you to look at Matthew, right? Passage. Well, let's get. Let's go first. Go to um to John. Go to John. Cause we referenced this already, right? With T.D. Jakes, he says, you know, the sun comes up from the water, the spirit is descending like a dove. A voice comes from heaven. Okay, we're showing you that that they are distinct. Okay, Jesus did not come out of the water and then really quickly become a dove and come down from heaven and then really quickly run back to heaven and say, this is my son. Okay, they are distinct persons. Okay, they are distinct persons. Um, Gospel of John. Again, we did. We already we talked about one one right in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, meaning that if you're with someone, I was with Janita. OK, that means that we have to be two different people. OK, okay. John chapter three. Okay, so this is against modalism, right? Not that there's one and he reveals himself three different ways. Number one, um, verse, uh, John chapter 3, verse 16. Here we see that the Father sends the Son into the world, right? We could probably quote this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only God's Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So if the Father is giving the Son or sending the Son, right, he can't be giving himself or sending himself. OK, they have to be two separate ones. Um, John chapter 16. Verse 10. After the son completes his work, he returns to the father. OK. John 16, verse 10, it says. I need bigger print about right. <laughs> Uh, um, he says about righteousness, because I am going to the father 
and you will see me no longer. I am going to the Father. Okay, so if I'm going, if I'm here and I'm going to the Father, I can't be here and going to myself up there, right? There has to still be two separate ones, okay? Um, John chapter 14, the Son and the Father send the Spirit into the world. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. And then again, if you were to look at Acts chapter 2, verse 32, it says that on the day of Pentecost that Jesus poured the Spirit out on the church. So again, if the Father is sending the Spirit and Jesus is pouring the Spirit out on the church, they have to be three distinct persons, right? The Father can't send himself into the world, right, and then pour himself out on the church. Okay, they have to be distinct, All right? Uh, two, um, chapter 2, verse 32. Yep. So um, what I want us to see again, that um, there's only one God, but the persons of the Trinity are distinct persons, right? So we, we don't hold to modalism. It's not one person, sometimes as the Father, sometimes as the Son, sometimes as the Spirit. They are three distinct persons, right? Um, but what I want us to see is that they are each fully God. They're each fully God, okay? They're not all three of them part God, so that when they come together, they make one, okay? They are all fully God. Philippians chapter 2, these are my last verses and I'm done. Philippians chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 2, I looked at that wrong, chapter 1, verse 2, sorry about that, it says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see in that verse, in that verse, God the Father is called God. Okay. Turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Verse 11, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all, training us to renounce impiety and worldly passions, and in the present age to live lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly, while we wait for the blessed hope and the manifestation of the glory of our great God and Savior, okay? And who is our great God and Savior? Jesus Christ, <laughs> okay? So in this passage, we are waiting for God to come and manifest himself. And when he does, you will see Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, to the book of Acts, again, Last passage, and then we're done. Acts chapter 5. Okay. So I love this passage because many times people will say, especially uh, I'm from a Jehovah's Witness background, like, okay, well, you know, you got verses that say Jesus is God, 
Um, um, but the Bible doesn't say that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is just God's presence in action, right? It's like an inanimate force, like electricity. You know, when God wants something done, that's called the Holy Spirit, okay? And I'm just like, whoo, y'all missed the Acts chapter 5. <laughs> Let's read Acts chapter 5, okay? We all know the story. It's the story of Ananias and Sapphira, right? And Ananias and Sapphira, they lie to Peter, right? They say that they sold all of their possessions and they were giving it to the church to help the poor. But in, in reality, they did not give everything. They kept part of the money back for themselves, but they lied so that they could be praised uh, uh, for, for being so generous. They lied. They kept some money and gave some to the church, but they lied and said, I gave everything. Listen to what Peter says. Verse 1, Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property with his wife's knowledge. He kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to who? Lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but to. I'm confused. I thought in verse three, he said he lied to the Holy Spirit. Then in verse five, he said he lied to God. So if lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to God, that means that the Holy Spirit is must be God. <laughs> there you have it <laughs> there you go all right so um so i know, I know we, we, we're over our time next week i'll have less okay so i'll focus just on the individual one of them like maybe the father or the son or the spirit right so we can just see what does the bible specifically say about this person as being a part of the trinity but um my, my goal is in this is is to try to help us to kind of get a, a clear understanding of this doctrine right it is very difficult to understand it is confusing okay it literally took the church it didn't really take four centuries it took you know they didn't really start debating until like the 300s and then they finished debating in the 400s so really they over over the course of maybe like a hundred or so years they just debated consistently you know how does this work out okay so um it is not true that at the council of nicaea in 325 they made jesus god okay <laughs> that's what everyone loves to say I, I know someone said that to me well it wasn't until 325 that people started believing jesus was god okay I'm just like, man, y'all don't, y'all need to read church history better, <laughs> okay? That they, at the council, they were debating, how do we just explain this so people can understand it, okay? So just because they wrote the document in 325 doesn't mean in 325 is when people started thinking Jesus became God, okay? I mean, you could read all of the docu documents for the first 300 years when people were trying to explain it, but in order for the church to be able to have one document explaining this so that everyone can be on the same page about how to explain it, they created the um, uh, decrees of Nicene, okay? So, Nicaea. So, um, 
I want to make sure that we understand it. I know that several people have been asking me questions about it, so I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page, that we all understand it, and see that it is not something that was just made up. It is actually what the Bible teaches. And the only way, the only way to make sense of, we read in a passage that says, God the Father is God. You read a passage that says, God the Son, I mean, Jesus is God. And read a passage that says, the Holy Spirit is God. And then you read a bunch of passages that say, there's only one God. The only way to make all of that make sense is the doctrine of the Trinity. Without the doctrine of the Trinity, none of these verses read together make any sense. Okay, so um, I want to uh, stop, take some time, a couple weeks out to uh, make sure that we um, have this all together. Um, again, Wednesday night in Bible study, we'll jump more deeply into it, into it. So um so that way, you know, we can ask some more questions, get better understanding, maybe look at more passages of scripture, and then um, we'll come back next week and, um, you know, hit a couple more passages of scripture on it. All right. Any other questions, comments before we go? <laughs> All right. I'm glad I didn't lose nobody. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. All right. So if you have any other any any other questions, um, you know, uh, bring them on Wednesday night. We'll be we'll look at at more questions um, about the Trinity. Okay. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for all this uh, that we have looked at today. Um, again, Lord, uh, we know that that there's no way for us to fully grasp and understand who you are. Um, and so as we wrestle with all the things that you say about yourself in Scripture. Um, we get a better understanding of, of who you are. But like R.C. Sproul said, it won't be until we reach heaven that we, we get a, a very clear, um, never comprehensive, but a clearer understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity. And until then, Lord, I pray that you would teach us to trust you. I ask now, Lord, that you would continue to um, help us to, to study and to dig into your word, help us to see how these things make sense and that they aren't contradictions. And I pray, Lord, that uh, that as we wrestle with them, you, you would really give us clarity um, of thought and how to see these things and how to explain them to others. We thank you now for all these things. We thank you that because you are a Trinity, you were able to save and apply that salvation to each one who believes. And uh, we look forward to the day when we will we'll see you face to face and better understand it. Uh, we pray for all these things. We ask that you will bless each one of us and, and even those who have not um, been able to come to be with us again. But I pray that you would keep us all safe until the time we see each other again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Um, let us close out.